0: All right, everybody, look into your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, and if you don't have your Bible with you, there's Bibles on your table, and if you like that Bible a lot, you could have it. Thank you, thank you. Do I look good today, everybody? Oh, yeah. I look good? Okay, thank you. I'm just making sure. I have a wife now, so she helps me get dressed in the morning with my suits and things. All right, Exodus chapter 3. This month, everybody say, Civil War. Civil War. It's going to be amazing. We This month, we are talking about church history, the church history, our history as Christians during the time period of the American Civil War. So, aren't you excited about that? Any Civil War buffs out there? I don't know what that really means, but I would love to be a Civil War buff because it just sounds really cool. And so, uh, we are talking about slavery uh, of the African people by the whites in the South all this month and how the church responded to that. And I think this month of Sunday school is kind of a dark side of church history because we as Americans, we as Christians in the South condoned the slavery of one people by another. Kind of dark, right? Okay, let's get started. Exodus chapter 3, and this is a favorite passage of people that uh, read slaves in the, in the 1800s would read this passage. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 and uh, got a lot of encouragement from it. We're going to read this, and then after I read this, we're going to show a clip of a movie of this passage and the clip of the movie is prince of egypt it's an amazing clip have you seen the prince of egypt it's like four years old now if you haven't seen it run to blockbuster go rent it it's an amazing movie about moses and and so i'll show that clip right after this exodus 3 now moses was tending a flock of jethro his father-in-law the priest of midian and he led the flock. To the far side of the desert, the cave to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Pretty cool, huh? Flames of fire in a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, "I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up?" I probably would too. I'd be like, "Man, that's sweet. It's on fire, but it's not burning." When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then God said, then the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. So this is a point in history when the Israelites were slaves of the Egyptians. And God doesn't like slavery um, of his people. Crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I came down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land. The land flowing with milk and honey. I'm still not sure what that means i don't know how does a land flow with milk and honey anyways it's good land the home of the canaanites hittites amorites perizzites hivites and jebusites and now the cry of the israelites has reached me and i've seen the way of the egyptians oppressing them so now go i am sending you to pharaoh to bring my people the israelites out of egypt let's pray god we just thank you for your word god we thank you for church history that we can look back and see our family as Christians, see what we already went through, learn from our own history, because God, you have been in our history throughout time, and we just thank you, we praise you for that, we praise you for the lesson you're going to teach us this morning, would you open our hearts, and would you open our minds today, and it's in your name, amen. All right, I'm going to show you this sweet clip, it's about two minutes long, maybe three, and I... For a time, I know it's good to wake up in the morning and do your devotional with, uh, let's say, a Bible. How many of you guys do that every day? I think it's so cool. Uh, There was like a period of a month where I woke up every day, and instead of reading the Bible, I watched this clip right here. Because I just loved it. I was encouraged by it, and I thought it was really powerful. So all that to say, this is the movie clip of what I just read you. If you weren't paying attention, here it is. I love that video clip. And I love this passage because it's the passage that slaves in the United States, the land of the free, rested upon because God is not a God of slavery. Our God doesn't like slavery. And so we're going to learn about that all this month. And uh, next time we're going to talk about Abraham Lincoln. Anybody like Abraham Lincoln? I do. A sort of a Moses-type character in our own church history. And so where I want to start is with a short story of me in high school when I, was, uh, I took advanced placement uh, history. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm not really that smart uh, at all. And I, t- I wanted to be smart in high school and be cool like the smart, cool kids. And so I asked my counselor, I begged my counselor, if I could take advanced placement history, even though my grades in other history classes weren't all that good. And he said, okay, see what you can do. So I was in this advanced placement history class, kind of out of my league. All these other people, these kids are pretty smart, did all the assignments. At the end of the year, there's a debate and you get up there, you have to sign up for one of the topics. And the whole idea is that you place yourself in the time period of whatever time period you're debating and you debate your opponent and it's like a 10 minute debate and my uh, debate was on slavery. I was debating like in the 1800s I was supposed to be this northerner debating against slavery how slavery 's wrong, and my opponent was a southerner debating that slavery is uh, that slavery is just fine and the The weird part about this uh, it 's just funny to me, but i 'm sure you 'll laugh what my what <laughs> Okay. Oh, the PowerPoint, I thought my zipper was down. I was about to get really embarrassed. Man, that'd be horrible, huh? Okay, I'm not sure how to make it go up there. Uh, Okay, we'll just skip the PowerPoint. I'm glad my zipper's not down. All right, what I was about to say was uh, my opponent. So you picture this, me, a northerner in the 1800s, debating against slavery, and my opponent just happened to be uh, a black man uh, arguing for slavery. (laughs) And so it's just kind of funny to me. Um, And he, I thought, my, uh, my, I guess, angle in debating was to say, slavery is wrong. Slavery is horrible. The evils of slavery need to be ended. And I thought his angle was going to be, well, slavery, we need it in the South. And so as an economic and uh, just for the South to be the South, we need slavery. I thought that was what was his angle that he was going to take. He didn't take that angle. And uh, he was a very good speaker. I was in high school and not a very good speaker because I was very shy. Can you imagine me, little Joe, in high school eating lunch by himself shy kind of kid uh not very good at speaking now i'd like to say that i would hope to say that you would say at least i have some sense of public speaking because i kind of make my life speaking and i'm a pastor that's what i do i talk to people um but back in high school i was shy i'd been a christian less than six months um and so if you've been a christian less than six months do you know the bible very well no probably not when someone says open up to hezekiah or whatever you're like what and you say i don't know you're like, I can't find this stuff in the Bible. And so that was kind of me. Anybody been a Christian less than six months? Nobody? Oh, a few people. That's awesome. Yes, I think that's so cool. Um, so that was me. My opponent, I say all that to say that my opponent was also a Christian. The black dude uh, the, the, in my high school class debating me was went to a different church than me. He went to an all-black church and a church that he often spoke at. And so this is my opponent, someone that's... That's, that speaks in, in his church, and someone that happened to be, but this was a sophomore year. When he was a senior, he became the, the senior class president. So, extremely talented. This was my debating partner. I thought his angle was going to be, uh, so we need slavery because of economic reasons. He took on the role of slavery is okay because it's in the Bible. I had no idea that he was going to take that, that angle. And so here I am, Christian. He actually, I mean, he was attacking me, like personally. He was like, You're a Christian, right? And I said, Yes. He was like, Well, here's some examples of slavery in the Bible. What do you say to that? And I was just like, Duh, duh. <laughs> uh, he, he, like, he killed me in the debate. He just killed me. And he, he pointed to some actual passages in our bible that deal with slavery where god seems to say that uh here's some rules for slavery and so if slavery is in the bible his argument and obviously he didn't believe this he was just doing it to to kill me in the debate um but he was saying (laughs) just picture he had people eating out of his hands because here he is a black person saying we need to oppress the black person we need to put (laughs) he killed me in this debate and just had everybody laughing, and, and so you could imagine it. So what I want you to do is just take a second. In your notes, if you open up your notes, there are is three passages. Job, a Genesis passage, and a Colossians, Colossians passage. I want you to quickly, at your table, and if, if you're only sitting at a table with two, you're allowed to switch tables and get with a, 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 um, more people at your table. And look at these passages and kind of quickly answer the question, what does God think about slavery? What? All right. What do you think? Do you think God likes slavery? <clears throat> the Job seven passage talks about just slavery being in the Bible. What does someone? Uh, someone? Th- th- this passage might have just confused you, like I had picked the wrong one or something. But the Genesis nine twenty five twenty six. Someone tell me why I put that in there. You kind of have to know the context of. You see, you realize that these are verses that a southerner in the 1800s, uh, like a white person, a plantation owner, would say, "Oh yeah, we go to church every Sundays. It's okay to own these slaves and to treat them however we want to treat them because there's some passages in the Bible that talk about slavery." And this particular passage of the Genesis 25, uh, the Genesis 9:25 and 26 passage, is one of the most famous verses that they chose. To uh, say that slavery slaves should be, okay. it's okay to own slaves. does anyone know why I picked that passage? It's pretty weird. "Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. He will be to his brothers. He also said, "Blessed be the Lord, God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem." Brandy, do you know? Yes. Right. Yes. Here's the idea. People took. It's called proof texting. I'm going to talk about this a little bit. But people said Canaan, the descendants of Canaan, uh, somewhere else in the Bible, it said that they had uh, a little bit darker skin. Maybe that. Maybe it doesn't even say that. Somewhere, someone pulled this idea out of their hat that said uh, Canaan and the descendants of Canaan are darker-skinned people from Africa. And so when they, when they read this passage, they say, oh, this is just how it's supposed to be. C-curse, the curse of Canaan is that dark people must serve white people. That's horrible. I don't know where they got that from. It's called proof texting. It's called grabbing something out of the Bible, taking it out of context, and then using it for your own selfish and bad ideas that are not biblical. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But first, I want to talk about... Um, kind of what we're talking about here, slavery, I wanna, it's going to kind of change the mood of the room a little bit. Are you okay with that? I'm going I'm to read you two stories of, of slavery, first-hand accounts, and it's gonna, you're going to be a little sad. You might be a little mad at our own history as Christians, our own history as Americans, oppressing other human beings. And so in the 1800s, sl- sl- the slave trade was a big deal. Um, in Africa, throughout the history of Africa, There has been, throughout the history of the world, there's been slavery. One tribe, one people group will take over another people group or another tribe, and then that tribe will be the slaves of the winning tribe. happens all over the world. still happens today. Uh, I think there's, I guess there's, I've heard numbers as high as 12 million actual slaves living today. 2007, I think this was a long time ago, but it's still kind of in places like Sudan, where one tribe takes over another tribe. And then those people become their slaves. But in the 1800s, what was happening is that the the winning tribe would sell those slaves to some white people that were on the boats on the shores of Africa because they can get a lot of money. And so those slaves were then put on slave ships, taken to places like the New World, uh, taken to places like the South of the United States, taken to places like the Caribbean and Jamaica. And then they were made slaves there and there's this movie that just came out last week did anybody see amazing grace yes i saw it too is it good or is it good or is it good it's really good so it's and i think we it's produced by christians and it's it's just a great movie it's the same producers as the chronicles of narnia and it's not meant to be a christian film i think in some ways like we as christians make movies for ourselves and they usually aren't that good um it's true though it's in a lot of cases. And it's hard. And we say, oh, this is going to be a great outreach. But really, the only people that see it are other Christians. And, but this movie is a movie that is pretty mainstream. I mean, it came out in theaters all over the world. Uh, and so it's a, it's a really cool movie. It's produced really well. And it's the story of William Wilberforce. Isn't that a sweet name? That'd be sweet. What's that, Wilberforce? <laughs> Oh, I cracked myself up. It's just such a sweet name. William Wilberforce. It's about him, and the subplot of the story is that one of the characters is John Newton. The guy that wrote the song Amazing Grace was a slave uh, ship, was a slave trader in the slave trade, dealing with, uh, treating people like animals, and then out of that, God saves him. He becomes a Christian, turns his back on the slave trade, writes Amazing Grace. It's a pretty cool testimony. The whole movie is about William Wilberforce, though, that serves in the parliament in the UK, in England. He's in the parliament, becomes a Christian, and has to decide, should I become a priest and use my education to be a priest and a pastor, or should I stay where I'm at, bloom where I'm planted, and let God use me? And some of you have to make those choices too. You're you're doing a certain job and God has a calling on you. Should I leave this and be a missionary? Should I stay where I'm at and be a missionary in my workplace? It's a good question to ask yourself. Um, And so William decides, I'm going to serve God in parliament. Use my successes, use my uh, achievements in parliament to end the slave trade. Pretty sweet. And so the movie, it's a course of about 20 years of him trying over and over again to get Parliament to uh, make sl- the slave trade illegal. And it's no, it's no joke. The slaves taken from Africa to the, to the United States and to the plantations in, in the Caribbean, it was the number one industry of England at the time. The number one industry. That's pretty big. It's pretty big. What's the number one industry of the United States right now? Any business majors know? could you lump technology spam <laughs> i don't know i would say i don't i'm just guessing i would say technology so it would be like someone trying to make technology illegal it's just like going so countercultural and at the time that's what william did because he saw the injustices of slavery and in the movie there's a um, uh, a, a character that's an african named equiano did you catch that if you saw it he, he was a black man that it's just a sh- really short excerpt saying he's going to write a story about his life as a testimony of how bad slavery is and i want to read for you um of uh, two paragraphs of that story and it's it's pretty it's pretty vile and so just get ready to to i guess just get ready to hear that um So this is Equiano's story, an African slave taken from Africa to the Caribbean islands, becomes free, and then writes a book to help end slavery. And it says this. This is about his account. At last, when the ships uh, had all got their cargo in, they made ready with fearful noises, and we were all put under deck so that we could not see how they managed the vessel. But this disappointment was the least of my sorrow. The stench of the hold while we were on the coast, the so in, intolerable, loathsome, and dangerous smell made it dangerous for us to be there for any time. The closeness of the place, the heat of the climate, added to the number in the ship, which was so crowded that each had scarcely, scarcely enough room to turn himself around, and it almost suffocated us. Some of the facts is that uh, the, the, they were put underneath the, the hold, and they were given a space about four feet by 18 inches. Just think about that for a second. Most people are... Taller than five feet, so not even enough room to lay straight. And the, the, the slave journey was from about, it takes about three weeks to go from Africa to the New World in weather conditions. And so, just the horribleness of that. Um, this produced copious perspirations that soon the air became unfit for respiration. And a variety of loathsome smells that brought on sickness among the slaves. And many died, thus falling this wretched situation was again aggraved by the gallows and the chains that now became insupportable, and the filth of the necessary tubs into which the children uh, often fell were almost suffocating. The shrieks of the women, the groans of the dying, rendered the whole scene horror and most inconceivable. One day the sailors caught a large number of fish when they had killed and satisfied themselves with it as many as they saw fit. To our astonishment, to those who were on deck, Rather than give us any to eat, as we expected, they tossed the remaining fish into the sea, although we begged and prayed for some, but in vain. Pretty brutal. Uh, Let me read one. This comes from Uncle Tob's Cabin, written by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Have you heard of that book when you're taking church history classes in high school? I mean, just history classes. Uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote this book. Uh, She was an abolitionist that did... What, I mean, she, she was a good writer, and so she took her skills, used it for God to end the horribleness of slavery. And so this is an account of Tom, uh, the main character in the story, being sold uh, into slavery from one slave owner to another master. Stand up. Tom stood up. Take off those chains. And as Tom, encumbered by the fetters, proceeded to do it, uh, he assisted him with no gentle hand, pulling them from his neck. The master now turned to Tom's trunk which previous to this had been ransacked. And taking a pair of old raggedy pants and a tattered coat, which Tom had worn about his stable work, he said, liberating Tom's hands from the handcuff and pointing to the recesses of the box, here you go, put these on. Tom obeyed, and a few moments returned. Take off your boots, said the master. Tom did so. There, said the master, throwing him a pair of coarse, stout, tattered shoes, such as were common amongst the slaves. Put these on. In Tom's hurried exchange, he had forgotten to transfer, he, he had not forgotten to transfer his cherished Bible to his pocket. And when he did so, for he, was, he was glad that he did so, for the master having refitted Tom's handcuffs proceeded deliberately, deliberately to investigate the contents of his pockets. He withdrew a silk handkerchief and put it in his own pocket, several little trinkets which Tom had treasured chiefly because they had amused his little niece. He looked at uh, them with a contemptuous grunt and then t- tossed them over his shoulder into the river tom's methodist handbook which in his hurry he had forgotten the master now held up and turned over Hm, pious to be sure what's your name you belong to a church huh yes master said tom firmly well i'll soon have that out of you for none of i'll have none of you bawling praying singing animals on my place so remember mind yourself he said and with a stamp and a fierce glance of his gray eye directed at Tom, I am your church now. You understand? You got to be as I say. And something within the silent black man answered, No. As if repeated by an invisible voice, came the words of the old prophetic scroll in the Bible, as his aunt had often read them Fear not. I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. Pretty sad situation, don't you think? kind of the realities of slavery. It's it's different talking about slavery than than reading these accounts, huh? Could God be in favor of this type of cruel punishment, cruel treatment of another human being? We just kind of looked at some passages that had slavery in them. What I want to read is, what my idea is, is that slavery, let me read this. I kind of wrote this down because I think it sums it up pretty well. The modern biblical view of slavery, that's the idea that we hold about slavery now as Christians. Slavery was a matter of social and cultural norm. If you want to write this down, it's only a sentence. Slavery was a matter of social and cultural norm in biblical times. God provided some rules and context for this form of servitude. Slavery was a matter of social and cultural norm in biblical times. God provided some rules and some context for this form of servitude. And so that's why there's examples of slavery in the Bible because it was common amongst culture, common amongst the, the societies of the day in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, of slavery. And so does God support? Is that God's will for people, for one people to take another people based on anything, based upon a war that they won, based upon the color of their skin, to take them and put them and treat them horribly, to own them? and treat them like animals? No way. No way. Let me, um, let me first quick say that, that the, the type of slavery that went on in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, the, in, the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, the Greek societies owning slaves, the Roman societies owning slaves, was nothing like the slavery that we saw in our own country in America, uh, the land of the free, unfortunately. <laughs> um, slavery that's in the Old Testament was... You didn't own another human being, like in, this, in, the, in the 1800s in the Americas. You didn't own them, and they were not, um, as far as ownership, you, it wasn't like owning an animal. You owned another human being that was your service, your servant. It was more of a servantship than, a, uh, than, than just a, tr- a cruel ownership of another animal. Deuteronomy twenty three fifteen. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read these, these three verses that are on your notes a passage in deuteronomy and then in the new testament philemon and ephesians the deuteronomy passage is probably one of the favorite verses of the underground Railroad. you know what the underground railroad is it's the it's the the slaves get breaking free from their masters in the south running up to the north trying to hide traveling by night and uh and so this is a favorite passage of theirs deuteronomy twenty three fifteen says a slave If a slave has taken refuge among you, do not hand him over to his master. Let him live among you wherever he likes, and in whatever town he chooses, do not oppress him. Do you see that? It's not this idea of like the Dred Scott case. If you're a Civil War buff, you know that the Dred Scott case said that uh, this man, Dred Scott, was a slave in the south, ran up to the north, was there a couple years, then his slave master found him. Does he have his freedom? Is it once a slave, always a slave? Uh, what is the situation? This court case said that, it's, unfortunately, our own government said back in the day, and we've totally changed and repented from this now, but we, we said once a slave, always a slave. If you're a slave, you're always a slave, no matter what. But this Old Testament example says, if a slave has run away from his master, taken refuge with you, don't hand him over to his master. Let him live wherever he chooses. He's not a slave anymore. He's one of you. He's free now because he got away. That's a pretty different idea than the slavery we saw in, in uh, the Civil War era. Philemon 1.16. That's in the New Testament. It's a small book. Uh, Philemon 1.16. And the book of Philemon is all about Paul writing to this dude named Philemon because he met this other dude named Onesimus in jail. And Onesimus was a slave that belonged to Philemon. And, and, and Onesimus becomes a Christian. And so Paul writes to the owner, writes to Philemon says, Bro, Onesimus should be free. Let him be free. He's now a Christian. Don't, don't keep him as a slave, but keep him as a dear brother. And Philemon one sixteen says that. No longer a slave, but, a, but, but better than a slave. As a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So we're looking at a very different type of slavery in the Bible that was prevalent than in the, than in the Civil War. Ephesians 6.9 Give some context to slavery. Very, very different than the South treated their slaves. Ephesians 6 9 says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no favoritism with him. Basically, treat your slaves well. Do not threaten them. And in the South, plantation owners could kill their slaves, murder them without any without any punishment in the old testament if you killed someone what happened to you yeah you were probably killed and there's there's punishment that has to be taken and so in so this is a very different type of slavery in the bible than in um than in the civil war and so that's why i read that statement i'll read it one more time slavery was a matter of social and cultural norm in biblical times god provided some rules and some context for this form of servitude and so a very different type Of slavery and god's not saying this is my good and perfect will for human beings to enslave another type of another human being because of whatever reason it's just not there and so there is slavery today and i want to move uh to a type of slavery i guess i could talk just a second about um, that in places like sudan there is slaves and i've heard numbers of upwards of 12 million slaves today i mean it's 2007 right and there's 12 million slaves in places like Sudan, where one tribe takes over another and then makes them their their slaves. Places like uh, Cambodia, Thailand, some of the big cities in India, where really, I mean, just just the horribleness of this. But there's there's sex slave slaves being trafficked, and just um, just little girls being. I mean, there's sex slaves. Just the the horribleness of that is still going on today in 2007. And if you if you're there's churches doing lots to, to end that, and there's websites and all kinds of things that will get you up to date on, on some of those numbers. But there's also a spiritual type of slavery that we have today. Because uh, let's read this passage, John 8:34. And we're kind of changing gears right now and looking totally at the spiritual side of slavery right now and, and going away from the, the church history thing for, for the rest of the time. We have about 15, 10, 15 minutes left. Turn to John eight thirty-four. John eight thirty-four, I just found this passage the other day. Actually the other week, last week when I was preparing this message, and so it's brand new. Isn't it sweet when you find brand new scriptures? It's so cool. You're just like, Oh wow, look at this, it's brand new. And so it's new to me. Maybe it's not new to you. And it's Jesus talking. It's about slavery, and it's about a slavery to our sin, a slavery to the mistakes that we've made. A slavery that we were once in as non-believers. That we were once slaves to a type of sin. And we all have sin in our life. And I, I just... How many of you were at the, the sex seminar yesterday? Your sex life starts now. Quite a few of you. So that's kind of... That's at the forefront of my mind right now. That the, the Doug Weiss, the speaker, yesterday talked about how people are addicted, enslaved to sexual types of addictions. And that there's, there's people that have been broke free from that because of the work of Jesus Christ, enslaved in sin, and then brought free by Jesus Christ, and we're all—we've all been in that boat where we've been slaves to our mistakes, slaves to sin, so things that we don't want to do, we keep doing because we're addicted to doing wrong. Because there's an evil and a sinful side of our nature, and that's just the way it is. There's sin inside of us. There's good inside of us. But before Jesus Christ comes into you, there's more sin than good and you can't overcome that based upon your own work you can't break yourself free of slavery based on good things that you're doing you can't break yourself free of of addictions and uh this 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 in-depth spiritual slavery to sin until jesus christ comes into your life And this passage says it jesus replies i tell you the truth everyone who sins is a slave to sin Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news says that you're a slave to your sin, you're a slave to mistakes, you're a slave to disappointing God, you're a slave to disappointing yourself. Because you're a slave, you're not a part of God. You're not on His side until Jesus Christ sets you free. And you have that freedom by his work done on the cross. That's the good news. Isn't that good news? Somebody say amen. amen. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And so what I want to do is I want to read for you uh, another story, a story about uh, a guy that was freed from his particular sin was alcoholism. And it's going to take about five minutes, maybe less, to read this story for you. His name is Brennan Manning. Has anyone heard of Brennan Manning? Yes, some of you have heard of him. That makes me excited. Um, He is a Christian writer right alongside with somebody like Henry Nowen. Have you heard of Henry Nowen before? Some of you love his writing. I love his writing because he writes um, from, and some of you are like, what, really? But he writes from the Catholic perspective. He's a Catholic priest, and he's born again. He's saved. He's evangelical. He's Catholic. He's our brother in Christ. And he writes these devotional books, Brennan Manning, Henry Nowen. Uh, There's a few other names that I was going to drop for you because you're like, really? They're, they're, they're Catholic? And yeah, they're, they're Catholic brothers uh, and sisters in Christ, and they write such amazing things. And he was, uh, was a Catholic priest but struggled with alcoholism. And so I'm going to read this story for you, and you'll see it. You'll see the slavery of his life, a slave to alcoholism, and then you'll see him being set free and we need to be in the business of setting people free, setting slaves free. Don't you think? Yeah. On April 8, 1975, Brennan Manning was lying on his living room floor in Fort Lauderdale. It was 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning. He was desperately ill. He had the sense that he was dying. It was later confirmed at the hospital that he was told if he had not gotten help within the hour he would have gone into alcoholic convulsions and died. Day after day, night after night, he would vow to God, I will not drink tomorrow. But the next morning, when, when he got what they call the tinglys and the crawlies, withdrawal symptoms were so violent that he would have to pour four shots of vodka, some orange juice, use both hands to steady the glass, because without it, he would have spilled it all over the counter. He had a drink every morning before he went off to church to work because he was a priest. When he got to the church offices, he would park in a remote part of the parking lot, have half a pint in the glove compartment. At about 11 o'clock, when the withdrawal symptoms set in, he would go out there, take a a quick double shot. That carried him over to lunch, and he had a few more, uh, four or five screwdrivers. Then in the afternoon, he would come home at 4 o'clock and drink himself into oblivion. One night, he was so sick that he tried to dial a friend to come over to the house, but he didn't have the touch-tone phone. Back in the 70s, they have the rotary dial. Has anyone ever seen one of those ancient pieces of machinery? Um, He didn't have the strength to dial the numbers. Finally, he mustered all his energy to dial zero and begged the operator to call Alcoholics Anonymous. He gave them his name and address, and 10 minutes later, a guy named Joe showed up. His his last name begins with a capital B. So Brennan Manning is lying on the floor, a T-shirt, a pair of jeans. Joe B. scoops him off the floor, races him down to a detox center at the local hospital. And anybody that's been down both sides of the street knows that withdrawal symptoms from the late stages of chronic alcoholism, going cold turkey, is like withdrawal from heroin. The same withering, shattering kind of experience. There is no point in dwelling, dwelling at any length on the odyssey of shame, guilt, remorse, the unbearable sense, the absence of God's presence in his life. But we mention this because Joe B. saved his life. The guy told him that he was also Catholic, but he had not been inside the church door in 26 years. But the first thing he said to Brendan Manning and he said, as he picked him off the floor was, Your heavenly Father found a lot of good out of this for you and for a lot of other people. And Joe B. slept outside Brennan Manning's door for the next five nights at the detox center. He asked nothing in return. One day, he walked into Brennan's room with a copy of the June 1957 American Medical Journal on Alcoholism. It was a healing word and a life-changing affirmation for Brennan because it said, Brennan, you, are, you should be no more ashamed of being an alcoholic than a diabetic. You got a disease, man. Thank God it can be healed through abstinence. And Joe B had lost a fortune. He had lost over $8,000, 800, $800,000 through his own alcoholism. And worse, he lost his wife and three kids. Joe now mows lawns for a living. And Brennan, Brennan noticed one day that he had a big hole in the sole of his work shoe, and he couldn't afford to get them repaired. But when Brennan was released from the hospital, Joe B bought him his first dinner at McDonald's. Two years go by. It's now 1977. Brennan has been through all the alcoholic rehabilitations he can find, uh, one in Miami for priests, uh, St. Louis one, and a granddaddy of them all in Minnesota. He's now deep into the AA program, being dry, going to a daily meeting, having a sponsor, working the 12 Streps. Brennan is now in Clearwater, Florida, writing uh, a second book out there called The General Revolutionaries. It's a pretty cool book. Um, <clears throat> Some wealthy friends give him a condo to use on a remote part of the beach so he could be alone and write. He found that through the AA grapevine that Joe B. had moved from southern Florida, Fort Lauderdale, to central Florida. He was now in Clearwater. He didn't have Joe B.'s address, but Brennan called the central AA office and said, Ma'am, I'd like to get a hold of some guy named Joe B. I don't know his last name. She said, "What, What does he look like? He described him. She said, That's a sad story. He's back on the booze. He said, no, man, that's impossible. She said, describe him again, and he did. She asked, how old is he? He told her. She said, Joe B. has been drunk for the last three months. Brennan said, you're lying to me. He would never do that. He's the man that saved me. He's not drunk. She said, go to Tampa. You'll find him on Skid Row. Brennan drove the 27 miles to Tampa. On 3rd Street, he saw a guy. He knows it's Joe B. sees him at a distance. Walking up, he said, hey, Joe, but it wasn't him. The guy could have been a perfect twin, his clone. The guy wasn't drunk or sober, just dry, a wino, who had been who hadn't had a drink in about twenty-four to thirty-six hours, and the tinglies and the crawlies of this wino had begun. Brennan instantly remembers a time in his own life. He wakes up at eight in the morning uh, on Commercial Boulevard in a doorway, about a hundred yards from the kids, where the kids go for spring break, sniffing vomit on his own sweater, standing up on his bare feet a blonde woman about 25 walks over with her four-year-old son in her hand The boy breaks loose from the mother's grip comes to the doorway and stares down at Brennan Manning the mother comes back up pulls her son away and says don't look at that filth that's all it is just pure filth 14 years ago that filth was Brennan Manning the 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 God that he has preached through the world because he's a Catholic priest has been the God that he has met the Jesus Christ of his own journey. Brennan didn't read this in a book. It's the Jesus that he's met on the grounds in his own self-mercy by God, the unconditional lover. He never found Joe B. that day, but he did happen to be the instrument that God used to get that wino to a detox center, later to be reconciled to his wife. Two weeks later, down in Brennan's condo, he's hosting his own 12-step AA meeting. There's six alcoholics there. The, other, the, the, the One of the last steps is... Um, <clears throat> So seek to improve your conscience through a contact with God or a higher power through prayer, meditation, seen under the knowledge of his will and the courage to act out. They all, are still are, they all start talking about prayer life, discovered that they were all either Lutherans, Episcopalians, or Roman Catholics. Someone said, Brendan, you're a priest, right? Can we have communion? He says, yes. The alcoholics have permission to use grape juice instead of wine. That's a pretty big deal for Catholics to not use wine. By the way, Um, they have communion. They start it up. Brennan gives a short sermon. Midway through, about downstairs, who walks in? Joe B. You know, your life goes, your heart goes flippity flop when you see someone you haven't seen in a long time. Joe Joe says, "Keep going with your with your sermon. I'll see you later." So they continue in worship. The downstairs door closes. Joe B. is gone. Brennan's heart sinks. Two days later, he got a letter for him, and I'll I'll close with this letter. It says, Dear Brennan, I came to your house and prayed for the right to belong amongst all of you good people. You never know what you did for me two weeks ago in Tampa. You didn't see me, but I saw you. I was 20 feet away in a storefront window. When I saw you kneel down and kiss that wino's hand and wipe away, uh, you wiped away from my eyes a blank stare of the breathing dead. My soul, you cared, you really cared. My heart began to grow wings, small wings, but feeble wings. You breathed life into me. I want you to know that I had bought in a bottle of wine, had it in my hand, but I dropped it down the sewer. Haven't had a drink since. Brennan, you should know if you should ever wonder who Joe B is, you should remember I am someone you know very well. I am every man you meet, I am every woman you meet. Brennan, I am you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you are the God who sets people free. You are not the God of slavery. You are not the God that that wants us to be enslaved by sin, whether that sin is sexual, whether that sin is alcohol or drugs or just a mindset or just messing up. God, you are not the God of slavery. You set people free, and we can be free indeed. God, we thank you that we could just look back at church history and learn that you has set people free in the South, people of darker skin, human beings that we love and that we admire, that you love because they are your children. God, we thank you that the testimony is that you set those people free by your hand, and we could look at that, that time in church history and just thank you for that testimony. God, we thank you that you could set us free in our own lives. No matter what we're in, you could set us free because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we praise you, God. We thank you for your life inside of us. And everyone said, Amen.